Looking forward to this. Ryan Fitzpatrick, we're going to talk his career. We're going to talk about Tua in the beginning and then who he's become. Uh, the dynamic of being fresh out of the league to now working in the media. This is going to be a lot of fun. And we'll do five questions with him. We're going to bring that back because I just thought about it today as opposed to all the other times I forget. NFL Week 12, five most important things and a recap of the TBD part of the college football playoff committee with the losses and a couple teams that we're going to be looking at. Ohio State and Alabama, what are they going to do with them this week? And of course, life advice. It's the Ryan Russillo podcast presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs and FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier. With more props right at your fingertips, you can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter-player props player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming, so please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 and older, 18 plus in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. Week 12, NFL. Five most important things, hanging out, watching football on a Sunday. Here's what we got. A Heisman moment for Trevor Lawrence. A two-point conversion, a win against the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, remember, since we said we liked Jacksonville when they were 2-1, and one, they beat the LA Chargers. They went 1-6. and six. Uh, Their defense is not good. It's not the worst, but it's 21st after this weekend. Offense is kind of good. Um Close to being a top 10 offense, depending on what numbers you want to look at. But this is Trevor Lawrence's best game of the season against the Baltimore defense that had kind of been feasting on bad offenses. Remember, we said we liked Baltimore here on the podcast after three and three. They went to seven and three. Now they're seven and four. Baltimore also had this absurd run of losing 10 point leads or more in the fourth quarter. Um, So I just kind of felt like putting it all together and an easier schedule that Baltimore is going to go on some kind of run here. And they, they did. Uh, but Jacksonville got him here. And it, look, it's it's Trevor Lawrence's, I don't know if it's a breaking out moment. I don't know if it's a writing the ship moment for Jacksonville because, again, I do respect Baltimore here. But let's go to those last two throws. They're trying to come back, go in the length of the field. They almost screw it up on a turnover. But the last two throws, a third and six to Zay Jones for 29 yards. And here's what I loved about it. Zay catches it with 30, 31 seconds left. They run up. No spike, okay? In this spot, I hate the spike because you have no idea what's going to happen. The seconds that you're going to save aren't really saved in this moment. And I feel like the spike 
strategy should be more malleable anyway. So it snapped at 19 seconds. That throw to his right to Marvin Jones for the touchdown was an incredible throw. It looked like he knew immediately what he was doing, but considering the coverage and that he's throwing against the sideline of the end zone, that ball had to be perfect, and it had some real torque on it and everything else. Like I loved that throw and catch. It's caught at like 14 or 15 seconds left. Of course, the home clock operator ran it down to like 12. They put time back on. Um, so you're not really losing any time in that moment because even if you spike it at 19 and then you're snapping it and then you run the play, you're losing whatever seconds are going to be there in the first place. And sometimes you have to spike it because it's a longer play and everybody's running up and there's guys that just aren't around. But I felt like considering where they, where the catch was and then where the touchdown catch was, it was perfect execution. And really what this comes down to as well is great communication with a guy like Doug Peterson, who knows the position, has coached in big moments, uh, and and everybody having a plan. And so that, I thought, was perfect execution. And then a little bit more Peterson on this as they're reviewing the touchdown catch. He sends out the kicking team to tie for the extra point. Then they run out the two-point team there late as A. Jones again. Is it something to build on for Jacksonville? I don't know. It felt like it. It felt like a big moment for Trevor Lawrence, who you know we've had some times this season where you're going, Oh, I thought they were going to take this step forward. But the offense is probably better than you realize, and I think that's a really good win against Baltimore. Can I add something that seems irrelevant, but I just love it? Every time Lamar Jackson talks, every time he's doing something, I just love it. I was lucky enough to interview him twice. He's still one of my favorite college players I've ever seen, just throwing on Louisville games because he just embarrassed everybody all the time. When Jacksonville's driving, I think after they threw the touchdown, waiting the extra point, which ultimately ended up being the two-point conversion, they show Lamar on the sideline laughing and kind of smiling. And it was, there's times where I'll see guys after a brutal loss with way too big of a smile on their face at midfield, yucking it up with a guy they played in college with. I'm like, man, you're you're really okay with this. But as what I always kind of remind people, like once you're once you're in it, like they process losses much better than you do in your jersey on the couch. Okay? They a lot of them do. A lot of them do. And I don't even know that's a negative. But in this moment, I felt like with Lamar, he's just looking around being like, hey, this is fun. And I'm having fun out here. And in hell, when Tucker lines up that kick, I think all of us would admit it for a small moment. We're like, is he going to bang this from 67 yards? And Baltimore is going to pull this one out. The other thing I like with Lamar, too, is when he wipes out somebody on the sidelines, he actually cares how they're doing after he crushes them. The other guy I noticed that with was Stefan Diggs. Does it mean anything? Probably not. I just like it. Number two, Cincinnati, a game that could go either way in their win against Tennessee. Tannehill's clearly still hurt. On the other side for Cincinnati, um, Jamar Chase is out of this game as well. Mixon's out, but P. Ryan's been pretty good. Burrow was only sacked one time. We remember watching Burrow going against the Titans in the playoffs. Revenge, clearly, I don't care what Tennessee said. You're the one seed. You lose at home to Cincinnati. goes on to the Super Bowl. you got to be thinking about that all week long. I know Jeffrey Simmons was. He's become one of my favorite players in the NFL this season. I He might be the angriest dude ever. Like I think other grown men that are in the NFL are actually legitimately afraid of him, and they should be. So Burrow only is sacked one time after looking like he was going to make it out of that second quarter a year ago. Um an awful penalty on the field goal attempt that was going to put Cincinnati up a touchdown, but instead it allows them to run the clock. Shout out to Ian Eagle, who was on it immediately, like immediately knew the clock math, was like, oh, the game's over, game's over. Penalty for um, 
messing with the center lining up on the snap there. So Tennessee is still third in the AFC seeding. Cincinnati is seventh today, so obviously a huge win against that front and the revenge part that we've already addressed. Cincinnati has a brutal stretch their last six games. It's against four playoff teams and New England, who's technically an eight seed today as of this morning. It's the fourth toughest remaining schedule. Tennessee is now averaging 5.6 points in the second half of games this season, which is the second worst in the NFL. Guess who's the worst? We'll get to them a little bit later. They're located in Colorado. Number three, Chargers' best win of the season. Let's run through them. Who are their wins against? Las Vegas, the Texans, the Browns. That was a close one. The Broncos, close one. Falcons, close one. Man, all their wins are pretty close here. They haven't blown out anybody. You're telling me, okay, hey, Rosillo, seriously, the Cardinals, that's your best win? I don't know. It felt like it. Seems wrong, but I'm going with it. Uh, Arizona's first game with... Hopkins and Brown in the lineup this season. Arizona takes a 21, excuse me, a 24-17 lead to start the fourth quarter. Then six straight punts. On Arizona's last punt, Kyler took a sack to make it third and 16. That put the ball at the Arizona four-yard line. Um, the punt return set up the Chargers at the Arizona 38. You kind of just watch this going, yep. I think it felt like maybe Arizona will have some nice moment and we can all watch it on Amazon together. Nope. Right down the field, touchdown. And then the two-point conversion, staying with the theme of Sunday, aggressiveness. I do love how all the commentators after it works. It's like, I love it. I love it. Do you? I had no problem, especially Jacksonville. Like, who cares? The Chargers, I felt like, would probably win that game if they tied it up. I don't know. Um, The two-point play has to be maddening if you're in the film room for Arizona's defense on that one. Uh, Everett, number seven, the tight end for the Chargers, who I really like. They ran a bunch to the right side, and Simmons, number nine, the linebacker, sort of everything position guy, remember him? He just got confused as hell. Like, watched the wrong stuff, stepped outside. Everett trails, like, the clear-out route in very short amount of space, and Everett's just wide open. So Arizona... Um, now four and eight with the eighth toughest schedule remaining. The Chargers are now four and two in games trailing by double digits, which seems crazy. All right, number four, the Matt Kaner Run Support Award. Some of you are like, who? And some of you are like, wow. That goes to Derek Carr. I don't know what it is with Derek Carr lately. I'm just starting to feel for the guy. I'm sort of rooting for him. They win in Seattle in overtime. They were two and seven. Yay. Uh, they've won back-to-back games now at Denver, at Seattle. Not, not you know, you're going to get that excited about it, 4-7. and seven. Maybe it's because Derek Carr, like, broke down recently, and I felt bad for him. But then the reason I bring up the Matt Cain run support deal is that this is a team that's 28th on defense, which seems crazy with just one guy like Max Crosby, who was just, could have been, had charges pressed against him yesterday. Um, that's how violent he is. He's unbelievable. Carr's top 10 in QBR, which he did a couple of years ago. We always knew kind of with Carr, like, hey, there's a lot of stats there that are pretty good, but what does it really mean? They don't seem to win enough. It seemed like Gruden wanted to replace him a lot. But if you look at the expected points added thing that Sando uses all the time, which is just a good way of going, okay, what does the quarterback do? And then what does the defense, what does the special teams do? The Raiders are at 28th in EPA, the combination of what defense and special teams are doing this season. Not good. Not good, but it gets worse. But wait, there's more. 
for his career at the end of, they tabulated this at the end of last season, for his career, for the 41 quarterbacks that qualified during that time, if you added up how good or bad the defense and special team support is, Carr was 41st. 41 out of 41 that qualified. The worst supported. So that's why it's the Matt Cain rule. I'm not saying it's I'm not saying he's great. I'm not. But okay. Lastly, this week with Wilson. Here's a stat for you. Going into this week and their loss against Carolina on their third with their third quarterback this season. If Denver had averaged, or let's say it this way, not average, scored 20 points in all of their games this season, which a 20-point-per-game average would be the 23rd best scoring offense in the NFL this season. So if they just were, again, average total points, we understand how math works here, but if they had just scored 20 points in all their games this season, which is something you probably thought was going to happen with Russell Wilson, they would have been 8-2 and two coming in. Uh, 20 wouldn't have got it done against the Panthers this week, though. I know that they had three wide receivers that were undrafted in uniform, left tackle, center, on IR. Uh, there's a stat out there where they may have the most starters going to IR, which is some kind of hope, perhaps, that this Russell Wilson contract that's like almost $15 million a year, the extension, isn't going to be the worst deal in the NFL and historically one of the worst because, again, I can't believe it. But Mike Purcell, defensive lineman, yelling at Russell Wilson on the sideline, I have no idea what happened there. I'm demanding. I need to know. I'm going to work really hard to try to figure out what was said. To Purcell's credit, after the game in front of the locker, he was awesome about it. He was like, look, I was just wanting to get them fired up. I just got a penalty. I was so mad at myself. We're all in this together. We didn't even get a stop, on and on and on. So I thought he handled it really well, credit to him. But the look on the faces in the moment just made me think like Wilson was kind of like, all right, cool. Nobody likes me because we're not scoring any points. This episode is brought to you by Hulu Plus Live TV. Looking for a better way to watch live TV? Stream your favorite sports and shows on over 95 live channels with Hulu Plus Live TV. Get access to Hulu's entire streaming library, Disney Plus and ESPN Plus, all in one plan. Start your free trial of Hulu Plus Live TV today. Live TV plan required. Restrictions apply. Access content from each service separately. Learn more at Hulu.com. Looking forward to doing this for a while. Ryan Fitzpatrick, NFL vet and now current part of the Amazon broadcast team joins us. What's up, man? Thanks for doing this. Yeah, no problem. Happy to join you this morning. So the first year that you're really out, what's it, what's it been like for you when it's real? Uh, it's actually, it's been nice. I wasn't sure, you know, last year was kind of transition year for me because I got hurt week one and kind of, you know, got to see what retirement would look like a little bit. Um, it's been nice getting to spend more time at home. It's been nice, uh, still being involved in the game, traveling on Thursdays to go watch, to catch up with buddies on other teams and coaches. But it's also nice not, you know, the grind, the taking the hits, the playing hurt, all that stuff. Um, I'm, I'm at peace with my decision. And it's been fun to be a fan this year and to step back and watch and see all this unfold. I assume you get a call, though, right? 
Like, has anyone reached out this year? Did you have a moment where you're in the car going, I got one more, I got one more season in me, another couple weeks? No, I told, I told my agents, I don't want to, even if anybody calls, I don't want to hear about it. Because I'm, you know, I mean, part of it too, I mean, I had a pretty serious hip injury last year. Um, I think I would be able to play, but I'm still not 100% sure. I still have some issues with that. So Now, being part of the media this, this quickly, uh, knowing that there's so many, because I, whenever I'd work with somebody, there was, if it was somebody who just left, it was always a bit challenging. And then maybe you get a little bit more seasoned. There's less guys you know. You might change your approach. What's the approach been like for you having this be so recent that you're, you know, you're going from playing to being on a, a real prime time, you know, display there for the Thursday night game? Yeah, I mean, with with our crew, I mean, there's three of us that are right off the field. It's me, it's Richard Sherman, and it's Andrew Whitworth. Um, Carissa Thompson has been a true pro and a vet, just kind of, you know, allowing us to figure it out as we go. And then we've got Tony, who's worked for a couple different networks and is kind of the uh, the uncle at, at the Thanksgiving table that tells joke and, and jokes and says inappropriate things at times and you know has some maturity to them um but it's been a lot of fun i think the thing that i thought i would struggle with more is being critical being critical of friends being critical you know that i bring this story up a lot but before our denver game nathaniel hackett is a dear friend of me he recruited sherm to stanford i mean there's some ties there where we uh we know him very well. Tony knows his dad very well. Um, but I think as long as you're fair, as long as what you're saying isn't coming from a place of attacking somebody because you don't like them personally, but you're fair about evaluating what has happened throughout the season, um, that part hasn't been as challenging to me. I think I've very easily been able to you know, make sure to watch film on a guy or a team and tell what I think and not necessarily worry about the feelings that much. I can figure this out without knowing it. And, and I'll, I'll set this up a little bit better, but there are so many times where I'd have an opinion in the 20 years of doing this. And then if I got lucky enough to know somebody a little bit later on that was involved with the team and they go, Hey, you know, that thing you said, this is actually what happened and it's haunting. Right. And I can't imagine how many times you as a player at all the stops where you'd see something or hear about some reaction, something happening, you're going, that's not even close to what actually went down. Right. And, and it happens so much that it actually makes me sort of hate the job a little bit. What is it like now for you watching, knowing you're going to form these opinions, and you're like, now I'm, I'm, not in the, I'm not in the room all week. I don't know what the hell, you know what I mean? Like that's, it's going to be frustrating, but at the same time, it's the job. Yeah, I mean, those, those things are very interesting because you know, at one point being on the inside, you know, going back to even like when Flores decided to bench me and put Tua in, all the stories that came about from that, I, I was just sitting there like, wait a minute, I'm involved in this. And I that's not what happened. But because one person says it, then somebody else picks it up, then somebody else picks it up. It sort of spins into the perceived truth of what's going on. So that part as a player is really frustrating. As a now analyst, it's funny because I, I don't want to call, you know, say Tua. I don't want to call Tua and say, "Hey, uh, what really happened?" You know, I like you never want to betray that trust or that confidence to figure out kind of what's going on on the inside. So 
um, you know, you give an informed take, but uh, it is weird being on the outside looking in now. Um, and, and I said this, you know, when we had Tua and the Dolphins, I was like hoping to sit down and get an interview with them, you know, which like, wow, how things have changed in the last few years. All right. I want to hit on that because I said after week one, I was like, I, I just, I'm, it was a, a carryover of everything that happened to it. And part of it was because I thought Tua was going to be so good coming out. And, you know, you're back and forth with him, his rookie year from the guy that you beat out in camp two years ago to who he is now. What has this been like for you to see these completely different versions of him looking like he's going to be the guy for a long time now? Yeah, it's awesome. I, and I think, you know, if you just look at that Miami organization, they've, almost tried to replace him every year since they drafted him too. Uh, there was the Tom Brady rumors, you know, there's trying to get draft picks to do all these different things, but you know, he is a guy when you know him on a personal level, you know, meet him, get to know him as a human being, you root for him, you root for him because he's a great kid because he works hard. And, you know, there's, he's just very polarizing, you know, there, you can't, be wishy-washy on Tua. You love him or you hate him. That's kind of where everybody stands on him. And the biggest thing with him this year, Mike McDaniel came in and immediately just, he gave him so much confidence. Every meeting that they had, every practice was about building up Tua, was about giving him confidence. And he's a guy that feeds off that and needs that. And he's been rewarded, Coach McDaniel has, because he has trusted the guy he has put an offense around him and playmakers around him that play to two his strengths. And so it's been a great year, you know, for him, especially since, you know, the injuries and the concussion that we had on Thursday night, which was a really scary scene for him to come back and play as well as he has. And for that team to really be meshing right now, it's, it's fun to watch. Can we go back to 2000 then and, and help us understand kind of what that dynamic was like where, you know, you win the job and then he gets his first start and then he gets benched, and then you come in, and then, you know, look, he ended up being the starter, because you understand where he's drafted, like, he ends up being the starter the rest of the way, and I know it was weird, too, because you had done an interview, I think it was Robert Mays, where you had said, like, I was floored that I ended up not starting that last game, and then it turned into, like, this weird thing, it's like, he can still like Tua and be surprised by the, the decision, but it's clear that Flores, you know, felt like he almost had to play him. Can you help us understand that dynamic a little bit better of, of what was going on in that first year? Yeah, I, I think uh, so. You know, with COVID going on too, we had our bye week moved around. I think initially it was week eleven, then it went to week seven. Um, so I think all along the plan was, hey, let's let's you know let Tua watch some of these games, let's let Fitz play for a little bit, and then when this bye week hits, let's go ahead and make the change. Easier to transition, yeah. So. It, easier to transition a quarterback in the bye week you give him a few extra practices get him up to speed get him working with some guys um so when the when covid kind of screwed up our schedule and accelerated that bye week to week seven i think it accelerated the plan of what they were going to do and putting him in and and look i you know i just wanted to be open and honest about how i felt that being said i was 100 percent supportive of tua you know i was in those meetings trying to help him out and practice trying to help him out because that was my role. I knew that at some point that was going to happen. That's That's been my career. I've been the placeholder. They usually draft a young guy and I try to bring him along. Um, so I knew that was going to happen, which is kind of shock at the timing of when it happened. But, um, you know, now 
looking looking at where we're at now with Miami, um, you know, that stuff, it was he probably wasn't ready to play yet. Admittedly for him, probably is a little early. It was an offense that was foreign to him, maybe didn't suit his strengths. Um, but that experience and even those struggles that he had, I think have helped him along the way and helped him become the player that he is now. Okay, let's go back to your start. Um, you know, I, I remember it was so funny when you started uh, with the Rams because then it was like, do you guys know he went to Harvard? And it was like, so it was a no, I was annoyed for you yeah. <laughs> without knowing you because it was just this, this idea that it was like, and then what, did you win Offensive Player of the Week coming in in your first start? Yeah, so it, it actually, I didn't start the game. Right, uh, right. So 2000. 2005, Mark Bolger was the starter for the Rams. It was kind of the tail end of Greatest Show on Turf. Mark got hurt. A guy named Jamie Martin, who was the backup at the time, started against Houston. He ends up getting hurt. Um, so I come in. We're down 21 points. Throw for over 300 yards, three touchdowns. We win the game in overtime on a quick screen that went like 50 yards to Kevin Curtis. I threw touchdowns to Isaac Bruce and Torrey Holton that game. Like, had no idea what I was doing. Um, you know, and when NFC offensive player of the week, the Harvard kid, first Harvard quarterback to ever throw a pass in the NFL. Uh, so that was a bit of a whirlwind. And then I started a few weeks after that and quickly came crashing back down to earth. Yeah, there was uh was it a four pick game? No, five it was pick five. Game? It was five. five. Yeah, yeah, it was five. I still when I go to bed at night sometimes, that was versus Minnesota at Minnesota, I still hear that horn, you know, the <laughs> It was like, that was, that was a tough one, but, uh, okay. But let's, let's go. You come in a relief, you light it up, you win this game, huge comeback. Were you, <laughs> cause when I was going back and looking at it, I was like, we're, I'm going to give you two. Were you like, shit, this is kind of easy. Or were you like, oh my God, I am not this good. <laughs> probably, probably more of the first, probably, man, this, oh, is, no. this, this NFL isn't what it, it was cracked up to be like this. You know, yeah, it's harder to go against these guys on defense, but now I've got better players on my side too. But, you know, that that false confidence carried with me throughout my career. I mean, that was a lot of, you know, what made my career and who I was. There was such an inflated sense of self and, you know, the, my arm talent and everything else. Uh, but that also, breeding that confidence helped me along the way and helped others that I was playing with. Um, and got me into trouble sometimes too. So that's what I always thought was really interesting about your careers. You know, like we know the Fitz magic part of it, you'd be like, oh, here we go. And then there would be these runs. And then it felt like, and maybe you can correct me on this. It, like Buffalo, when you got the extension, it was like, okay, finally a landing pl place. This is going to matter. And then it doesn't work out. New coach comes in. He wants his guy, moves on. It felt like Fair or unfair that when you were the starter, that it, maybe it was a new staff, new regime, but it was always like, can we do a little bit better than this? You know, and I don't know if that's how you felt about it. And sometimes you're like, maybe you're okay. And then maybe like you should go ahead and replace somebody if you want to, if you feel like you can raise your ceiling. What is that role like essentially for your entire career? Cause it's got to be frustrating. Yeah. But I, I also embraced it, you know, and I think you can, you could almost draw a line. Uh, I had two different halves of my career. Uh, I think 
you know, the first one was up until I got to Houston in 2014 and then 2014 and beyond was kind of that second part of my career. Uh, and that was the start of, okay, if I'm going, I'm looking for these starting jobs every year, I'm going to go to a team that's not very good, but needs a bridge. They need somebody to try to write the ship for a year while they can buy themselves some time, you know, to draft a guy, develop a guy, whatever it is. And I, and 2014 in Houston was my kind of my first experience with that. And I embraced that role. I ended up really loving it. You know, the downside was my family was moving every year, every other year. But the great part of it was I got to go to these teams. I got to 100% be myself. I got to play without fear. I just got to go out there and be and give other guys confidence. And then it was just, okay, you've done it for a year look, we're moving on. We think we can find better. Okay. You've done it for a year or two, you know, and it just, it constantly went in that cycle. Uh, but I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed that role. Who's the best quarterback you were teammates with where you were thought if he could ever figure it out, if he ever had the right system coaches that we may not know about, who's the best player that you can think of? I mean, the, the best that I ever played with was Carson Palmer. I mean, I, I sat, I sat behind Carson and played with him. And obviously he had the career that he had and he's a Heisman trophy winner and number one pick. Um, I'm trying, I mean, you know, Jake Locker was always a guy that I loved that, you know, injuries got in the way. Maybe it wasn't ever the perfect system for him. Uh, was an incredible athlete, human being and leader, but it just never really hit for him. And then, I could say this now because he's playing great. Oh, Geno Smith. I knew it. I knew it back in 15 and 16 that Geno was going to do what he's doing now. Uh, that's been that's been remarkable to see, you know, the hiatus from him playing to what he's doing this year. You know, he's always the guy that could spin the football. You just sit there and watch him in shorts and you're like, holy smokes. Like, how am I a quarterback in the NFL next to this guy and the way that he throws? But I think, you know, he's matured over the years and he's figured some things out and he's obviously having a great season. I'm so glad you said Jake Locker because Van Pelt used to make fun of me and says, because there was like a couple weeks where I watched him. I was like, I think he's actually, I think, I think we have something here because he was obviously we all know what a sick athlete he was and he yeah. couldn't be more like not the NFL rock star quarterback. Yeah, like but I, yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's just a great locker room dude. Yeah. Like, didn't want any of the notoriety or the fanfare that came with it, but maybe was a little bit ahead of his time. Some of this RPO stuff. But, you know, if you look at like what Jalen Hurts is doing right now, you know, I, I don't know that he was as big and physical as, of a runner as, as Jalen is, but, you know, Jake fits better in this NFL than he did eight, nine years ago. Okay, that's that's perfect transition. You're good at this. Um how much different do you think it is now where coaches go, why are we fighting with the talent that we have there? Why are, why are we trying to smash these, these squares into a round hole here, whether it's what they're doing with Jalen? I mean, when I look at what Mike McDaniel's doing with Tua now, I go, you know, I, I, can you clone this guy? Can, you know, should another team offer three first rounders for him? To, you know what I mean? Like, it just seems like there's no longer, well, there is in some spots, but there's a, a shift towards helping the quarterback as much as possible where, you know, I've talked to enough guys. It, it feels like as absurd as it may seem from the outside, that is not the norm. Yeah. I mean, we, we had the game in Chicago this year when me and Richard Sherman are banging our heads against the desk. Like what, you know, Luke Getze came from green Bay and they are 
running Green Bay's offense with Justin Fields and trying to make him a drop back pocket passer, and you sit there and you watch how dynamic of a runner this guy is. I mean, he is, it is Lamar Jackson, Justin Fields, Jalen Hurts, and everybody else, basically. And Josh Allen's in there too, but he's such a dynamic playmaker with the ball in his hands and they're it's drop back pass drop back pass drop back pass get him out of the pocket design some runs for him and the buy hit when it did with for them which was after that thursday night game i believe they went and they watched lamar film and you've seen what justin fields has done in his last four games he's setting records for running the ball and it just puts so much pressure on a defense that being said the downside of it is well now he's got a shoulder injury you know so these guys I think some teams are very uh, hesitant to run the quarterback as much as they do because of the injuries. You got to be smart about it. You got to have a real durable guy. But that being said, the Justin Fields thing was a very obvious look, square peg, round hole. Why don't we just give in and play to his strengths? Because he has a few things that are absolutely elite and they have. And you've seen where their offense has gone the last four or five weeks. Who is your favorite play caller? I mean, I, I have to say Chan Gailey. I was with him in three different places. He was the guy that gave me the ultimate freedom. You know, when we talk about Mike McDaniel and Tua and confidence, you know, Chan was the guy that I, I just, as a quarterback, you can always feel the confidence of a play caller when the plays are coming in. So there's sometimes where the plays are calling in and you're like, oh my God, like, you know, they don't want me to touch the ball here. They want to take the ball out of my hands. Why are they calling such careful play? You know, that kind of stuff where Chan, Always gave me the ultimate freedom. Always gave me the ultimate confidence. So he he was the guy that I loved playing for. Do they, you know, when you're trying to figure out like, hey, what do you like, right? You know, every time we'll hear the NFL mic'd up thing or the the midweek re-air with some of the audio, which I still think the NFL should just do one of those games start to finish with editing all the different sound bites throughout it to tell a real story. And it'll be like, hey, what do you like? What do you like? They're like, oh, I like this. I don't like that. What goes into calculating? Is it is it arm talent? Is it the looks? Because it's always fun when it works. Like we don't we don't really ever get that audio and the guy's like, ah, oh, I like this. I like he throws a pick six the other way. But <laughs> that that relationship of of truly understanding, like, okay, in this moment, third and whatever, like we don't want to be predictable, but I don't want to ask you to do something you're not comfortable with. Yeah, it's it's a really important relationship. Uh, and I think sometimes with young quarterbacks, they don't know what they like. You know, you you have to teach them. You have to show them the way you have to, you know, design a play and show them why you're putting it in. Not just say, OK, progression one, two, three, but it actually sit down and explain it to them. Look, these are the four looks I think we're going to get here. If we get pressure, I've got this built in for you. If we don't, we've got our best receiver one on one and just sit and explain you know, why you like certain plays. And with some of these young guys, you, you can you can kind of talk them into some of these plays and get them to love them. But uh, there's certainly, as you get older, uh, you know, when you watch Aaron Rodgers play, there's stuff that he likes and doesn't like. And if there's a play call that he doesn't like, he's going to show some visible frustration. Whenever I looked at some of the dual threat guys, I would go, okay, but eventually, you know, the analogy I would make is that it's it's awesome if you have a a great pool in the back with a sick deck and a little cabana. But at some point, like your house has to work, you know, and that to me was, was beating people from the pocket, you know, like the, and when you would look at some of the running quarterbacks, you could see, you know, pretty quickly, like, okay, 
those rushing totals start going down and down. Now, Lamar's kind of changed that. Um, Fields is special. Even like Allen on that big third down, he's like, I'm not sliding, and the defensive back's going to lose. Mahomes again yesterday, just so frustrating. And you were a guy that was really more of a dual threat <laughs> you know, than people realize, maybe going back. What did you run in the 40, by the way? I ran a 488. So it was always because they're like, man, no way this guy's running. He's he's a 488. Oh, okay. uh, right, yeah, right. so it was, it was more nothing to do with athleticism, a little to do with craziness in the head, and a little to do with they either weren't expecting it or I snuck up on him. But with, with Patrick Mahomes, though, like he's a reluctant runner. He, he doesn't want to run. He wants to make plays from the pocket. He wants to get outside of the pocket and throw that ball down the field. It's almost like, okay, they've taken away these options. I need to hurt them with my legs. And you can, you can see him making that uh, conscious decision. And, you know, he comes up with some of these big runs, but Patrick Mahomes is not the most athletic quarterback in the world either. You know, he, He's a guy that's a reluctant runner, but can really punish you because when you give him certain looks, he knows that the best option is for him to take off. I think that's a really great way to say it because I think that's what I'd want. I want a reluctant runner who could still run. You know, I don't want what I always feel like with some of the young guys because in college you can kind of get away with it. And it was always one of my, my concerns with Hertz was the one read and then I'm comfortable running. You know, I think Fields is probably still in that mode right now, too. And I don't really blame him considering the talent and the O-line and everything that he's dealing with. But it feels the evolution of the, of the position now is if you think you're just going to like not pressure the outside and 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 hold up our defensive ends with a little bit of, you know, eye magic here. Like if you're if you're trying to win that way now, that almost feels outdated. Yeah. And, and with somebody like fields you know somebody that's still early in their career trying to get past that first read in a progression the play caller can also help that out the play caller can get him outside the pocket give him more time to look downfield to say hey one two no check down three and also use that arm talent i mean he throws the ball the deep ball he throws very well you know so give him give him some stuff where he has more time to escape the pocket to set up and just easily go one, two, three, instead of having to make such quick decisions and process, um, which, which by the way, and I, I don't know if we need to get into this or not, but I, I just watched the Jets game this morning and Mike White, just because I was interested, um, you know, why is it so, why does the offense look so different when he's in the game than when Zach was in the game? Mike White can process. He, he is hitting that back foot. It's either one hitch or two, and the ball is coming out. And he's making the right decision a lot of the time. He had the Buffalo game where he had the four picks, but he is going to help that offense so much because the ball comes out. All of a sudden, the offensive line looks better. All of a sudden, Garrett Wilson, all of a sudden, Elijah Moore is now a superstar again. You know, there's these things that happen when guys get back there and make the right decisions and throw on rhythm. All of a sudden, LaFleur is a better play caller with Mike White in there. Uh, it's pretty amazing to watch. What is the difference between seeing it all and not seeing anything you know like goalies and hockey will go hey just a certain night you know the puck looks like it's the size of an aspirin and it just it doesn't mean you're different it's just that night what's that like with a quarterback the difference like moments or a story that you have about you know i'm in a rhythm i'm feeling great and then you know you hit the wrong matchup and all of a sudden it's taking you two three quarters to figure out what's going on yeah i mean sometimes sometimes you go into a game you know new england's a great example you go into a game versus new england and you know what you're going to get. 
there's not going to be a whole lot of confusion with with the Bills, with a couple of these other teams. They're going to disguise some stuff. You're not going to be sure if it's a deep half safety or if he's sitting low in like a quarter's look. Uh, there's some stuff post-snap that you're going to have to process. So it's not just you making the right throws, but it's you figuring out the scheme as the game goes on. How are they playing you? Whereas you go against a team like New England, and that is all almost predetermined. You know the four looks that they're going to give you all game. You know, there's going to be very little disguise, but they're going to challenge you. They're going to take away number one. They're going to take away number two, and they're going to make you beat them with players that aren't necessarily your go-to guys. And so that's just a different challenge that they present to offenses. Um, but it's it's a fun one, too, because – you know, it's fun going against somebody like Belichick and you just know he's sitting in there scheming and, uh, you know, you try to figure it out with your guys. So you're actually saying it's not complicated against Belichick. No, it, it, the New England defense is not complicated. They're just very good at what they do and they're going to challenge you. So if you if you're throwing an in cut and you throw the in cut two yards behind your receiver, then that may end up being an interception. You know, if, if you're not prepared when they come cover zero and they pop somebody out and you think you can throw it over the middle and the defensive lineman or backer jumps up and picks it off, you know, they're just, they're going to put stuff on you and they're going to challenge you to make sure you're making the right decision and making the correct throw. Can you tell the difference between, because every now and then, like I'll, you know, be watching something and I'll be like, Hey, look at this guy. He went 21 to 28. He threw for 287, you know, touchdown, no picks but he's getting his yards between the twenties. You know, there's like these, some of these stats you'll look at and be like, wow, statistically that guy had a nice box score game. But when it came down to a few missed third downs or kicking field goals, they lose the game. Can you tell the difference between the QBs that kind of live in those in the, been between the twenties and, and aren't really the guy? Yes. Yes. <laughs> and, and also, the ones that really take advantage of, you know, being down two or three scores and just, you know, thinking about the stats and knowing that, oh, completions, checkdowns, this. Yes, there's there's definitely some guys in the league uh, that that are like that, that you always know their, their stats are going to be padded at the end of the year. But then, look, they're going to have their 4,000 yards. They're going to have their, you know, 26 to 7 ratio and – you know, when when teams go to sign guys at the end of the year or make trades or whatever, then it's easy to hang your hat on. Well, look at what he did statistically. Yeah, we need to normalize down fourteen touchdowns or down down double digit well, I, touchdowns in the fourth quarter to see how many you have at the end of you know, the year. I, yeah, and I, I think you know you have the you have the old quarterback rating and then you have the ESPN QBR thing. And I think the QBR tried to do that. They tried to specifically look at situations uh, and weight situations based on, based on where you're at in the game. So it's, it's not a perfect system by any means, but it's much better than the normal quarterback rating system. Did you ever do it? Where you were do thinking what? about like closing the game out being like, I want to get another 70 yards. <laughs> here, so this, this <laughs> well, I, I always laugh. <laughs> I always laugh at like the, you know, Hail Mary at the end of the half. Uh, and then the QB checks to the, oh, no, no, no. Let's throw the quick one and get 30 yards. <laughs> uh, you know, we didn't get it. But then you jog off with a smile into the locker room at halftime. 
That's a great call. Yeah, that's kind of like the anti-Ray Allen, but sort of the same. Like Ray Allen would get the inbounds and then take an extra step waiting for the buzzer to go off to heave it so it didn't mess up his <laughs> field goal percentage. And I would argue like over the course of 82 games, granted these guys aren't playing 82 anymore, but it's like just what are we talking about? Seven attempts a season that you're going to miss? Like don't yeah. – or let's not inbound it to you. <laughs> Like, like, we'll we'll give it to the backup or something. He used to always take this extra step knowing the buzzer was going to go off and then it wasn't going to mess up his field goal percentage. I like stats. As you get older, you realize stats matter. Stats really matter. Just like in the combine, you know, if you can say, well, we drafted this guy because he ran a 4-4 instead of the guy that ran a 4-6, it's easier to be able to back that decision up. All right, it's time for five questions. Okay, let's close this out. Ryan Fitzpatrick, five questions. Always shout out Craig Kilborn for this because we know it's his idea. All right. Do you have any idea what the number one Googled question about Ryan Fitzpatrick is? Uh, I would say, is he married? Just because all the ladies are always Googling. That's number two. How many (laughs) kids does he have? Yeah, no. Then that's that. No one knows. There's Russian websites that are like, we do not have enough information, but he's very attractive and tall. I love those. I love those weird celebrity information sites. They're written in like Croatia. They they don't make any sense whatsoever. Like mine is like he is tall but not gay, and I'll be like, okay, that's those are two quick hitters. Um. So all right, here we go. Number one question: Was the number is he a Hall of Famer? Ah, that's great. I just, (laughs) that's just, that's just me searching it all day. You know, (laughs) me and my kids just typing in, is he a hall of famer? I just like that. It's even in the mix as a question. That's a huge honor. And so, okay. Um, did you, did you ever go to my favorite dive bar ever? The can tab? No, no. God, you Harvard guys tight ship over. I know. I'm sorry. Okay. Um, what's the most awkward post-game handshake? Uh, <laughs> I think it was, I think it was with Michael Vick. I had, I had a terrible response to a question during the week. This is after the, the dog thing had happened with him. And I mistakenly said, just as a cliche, like it's going to be a dog fight and totally meant nothing by it. Like, literally meant nothing by it. I felt so bad. I went to the reporters after and I was like, look, that was not, it was not like a, you know, Wes Welker, Rex Ryan foot fetish thing, total slip. Uh, but I felt bad and awkward shaking his hand. That was, that was an unbelievable answer. I put you on the spot there. Okay. Uh, will you root for the bills over everyone? Yes, no yeah. doubt. Okay. That's what I thought. All right. Last one here. Um, do you remember the wonder look question you got wrong? I don't. I and I get I get asked that a lot. Um, but I, I left it blank and I don't remember. Left it blank. That's the old SAT move. Just leave it blank. Leave a leave four or five of them blank, but guess on the rest of them. Um, <laughs> thanks, man. I really enjoy you guys on Amazon. It, it's 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 tough. You put that many new people together in the beginning of the season, and to kind of see how it's evolved here in a very quick amount of time, you guys deserve some credit. So thanks for the time today. Yeah. Thank you very much. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. 
you earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Okay, college football. Huge weekend, huge results. Congrats to Michigan. Incredible win at Ohio State. We're going to get to all of this. I'm not going to do my top 12 today. I want to see what the committee does. Specifically, I want to see what they do with Bama and Ohio State. Uh, Get ready, folks, in case that is an option. I'll get to that a little bit later, but I want to start with Michigan. Okay, a couple things here, a bunch of things. I thought Ohio State would win the game. Vegas thought Ohio State would win the game. Eight, eight and a half point favorite. I couldn't get past that I didn't like J.J. McCarthy as much as C.J. Stroud. I don't think that's super controversial. Michigan's defensive numbers incredible, but I went through it before the game and I looked at it and I was like, wait, <laughs> let's look at who Michigan's played on offense this year. So 11 games in before Ohio State, eight of the 11 opponents had an offense that is going to finish the college football season ranked 90th or worse on offense. All right. Of those 11 games, the average offensive output, like essentially like who those 11 teams are, if you added up where they ranked on offense at the end of the year, their average was the 96th best offense in college football. So I was like, man, are they really going to slow down Ohio State? Because I don't really have a ton of sympathy for Ohio State on the injury front with the skilled guys because they just have so many more than everybody else in the Big Ten. So that's how I felt before the game. At halftime, Ohio State's up three. Like, okay, we've got a game here. And it's not, if you were to say, hey, Michigan's going to go in there and win, it wasn't like Michigan was ranked 23rd here, or this isn't some ridiculous rivalry thing like, hey, you throw the records out. Michigan's really good, okay? And this is two years now of being a really good football team. So this isn't some huge surprise, even if I felt a certain way about it. And at the half, I felt like, oh, Ohio State's starting to push them around a little bit. Uh, a couple of weird plays there, some big plays. J.J. McCarthy, like, not really expect, expecting this. You start breaking it open. I don't know what's going on with the DBs here. You know, you got a 69-yard play, a 75-yard play. Like, is that really what Michigan's going to do? And when I looked at the rushing numbers, Michigan, 11 carries, 10 yards. Ohio State, 20 carries, 124. I was like, this thing's going to figure it out. And then that definitely didn't happen. J.J. McCarthy has the best game of his career, certainly this season. And now he's a legend forever. He deserves it. Uh, his longest pass play, I believe, was against Hawaii this season of 54 yards. And then he outdid that with three throws in this game. So I'm not surprised because of the rivalry thing, but I guess on paper, I'm surprised. But unfortunately, what happens is we go three months into this, and then it's all of a sudden like, well, Ohio State stunk. And I'm like, no, they didn't. They didn't stink. They didn't stink. They lost again. And now all of a sudden, you get to ask these like weird Ryan Day questions about, well, wait. Is is he the guy? And yeah, if you wanted me to do a segment on it, if I wanted to decide to be super critical of Ryan Day, I guess I could do that. I know what I would say. I know how I would carry it out. I don't know that it's entirely fair. The same way, and actually not the same way, because what was incredibly more unfair was the fire Harbaugh crowd. You know, I am not a fire everybody guy. I think that's that's pretty clear because I don't. It just feels like an act, and it doesn't feel as much like a solution as people believe that it will be. 
And if I'm not around and covering team locally, like I would defer to those people. Like I didn't realize that Scott Frost was apparently super difficult to deal with and had an awful staff, I guess. Or is that some version of events that we're hearing after the fact because it didn't work out that we're blaming, we're playing the results and then saying all the things he did was wrong. But Harbaugh, who'd won everywhere and actually had had Michigan rather competitive, wasn't beating Ohio State, which this last two decades hasn't been a great run for Michigan. Maybe they're turning this thing around here. So I'm like, how different is it really? And by the way, when you fire the guys, it's not like it's some punishment because then they get to keep all the money and then you get to pay somebody else. So, you know, they even reworked his contract because I felt like, hey, if Michigan's cool with him and he's cool with Michigan, then what's the big deal? Although that heavy, heavy flirtation with him potentially leaving for the NFL, which may pop up again, made me wonder, is it just him moving on? Because now he's been at Michigan, I believe, twice as long as any stint that he's ever had at any other job. Um, but Michigan was never, like, whenever I look at somebody and go, oh, they got to get this guy out of there, be like, hey, this guy's not going four and eight. Like, what the fuck? And whether it's Jimbo Fisher now, who's had a super disappointing season, although we'll get to that one, don't worry about it, folks. Uh, like, just fire him and let him leave with, like, 90 million bucks. Like, wh- what's, like, all right, he's had a terrible year. He's had a terrible year. Like how many, like Mel Tucker, okay, yeah, you paid him all this money off of last season. I mean, this the college contract thing is so out of control that it's like, what am I doing? I'm tacking on year 29 and 30 and 31, and you can just leave next week anyway? Like what the fuck? So yeah, the Mel Tucker thing was super disappointing this season. Coming off of what felt like, hey, they got the guy, and then he got paid all that money because there was some flirtation that, wait, will LSU go after him? I'm just not big on like, the idea that big program has disappointing season. Let's start asking some questions about the coach. Unless you are boots on the ground going, this is an absolute disaster, and what must be done eventually must be done immediately. So credit to Michigan. Now, the score part of this is Michigan outscoring them 28-3 to close it, right? Ohio State, three punts, two picks in those last possessions. But would 45-30 make you feel better if you were on the committee? Because that seems stupid, right? Like, oh, what if they got a pointless touchdown at the end and it wasn't a pick? 4530. Now the committee can keep Ohio State a little bit higher. I think the committee does a much better job than we do on social media focusing on the body of work versus the two minutes after the clock goes to zero. All right. And Ohio State needs some help. And they got some help. Clemson isn't good. They're 10 and 2. They're never 10 in the AP. Don't care. But after six, you're kind of running out of teams to rank. The ACC's out. Oregon, they were up 31 to 10 at Oregon State and they lost. That was one of the all time, like, wait, what's the score? As you start checking in and some other ones going, okay, this is Oregon's better than them. Plucky Beavers playing some good defense there in Corvallis. Nice season, great turnaround. You're not going to beat the Ducks. No, you are. Dan Lanning may never go for it on fourth down in his own territory again for the rest of his career after what happened against Oregon State and then Washington a couple weeks ago. So, Oregon, who should have been playing in the Pac-12 championship game and a real chance to probably beat USC, will not be there. USC will get the rematch against Utah this Friday. Um, okay. 
USC should beat them, but I don't know that that's some kind of lock because I just have a ton of respect for Utah. And we'll see that respect when I do my rankings on Wednesday. How about LSU getting in with two losses, but an SEC championship, which would keep Georgia probably in in the committee's eyes because that was a very likely scenario. Uh, not the LSU part winning, but I would say Georgia losing the SEC title game and still being in with everything that's happened around them. LSU, three losses, done. Do you want to hear about how talented A&M is, though? You don't? Okay. Their last Power 5 win was September 24th. But they did lose by only four at Bama. And their quarterback, who finally is figuring some things out, was number two in his class. I'm just saying they are rather talented. Uh, LSU's 11th in the AP. Oregon's 15th. They dropped them down as well. Okay, so looking ahead to the conference championship games and that big question about Ohio State and Alabama. So Georgia is in probably either way. Michigan's a 14.5-point favorite against Purdue. TCU's only a a 2.5-point favorite in the Big 12 championship against K-State. TCU absolutely hammering their opponent within minutes this uh, this past week. USC, minus 2.5 against Utah. So Vegas respects Utah. I respect Utah. So where does that leave us? Well, if they're all clean, then they're in, and there's your playoff, right? Georgia, though, oddly, they get up for the big ones. Being down to Georgia Tech, you know, it's a bit of a freak out. Like, hey, what's going on? They seem to sleepwalk a little through some of their games. I don't know if Kentucky would fall into that. Missouri certainly would. Um, one of their non-Power 5 opponents, pretty weak effort. But they seem to get up for the big ones. I mean, they were so dominant against Tennessee that I don't know that I'm worried about Georgia. I'm just something to pay attention to. Okay, so what if SC or TCU were to lose? Where does that put us? So that leaves us with the question that we have today, because when you look at both the AP and the coaches poll, irrelevant for the committee's exercise, Ohio State is five, dropping three spots. Alabama moves up two spots to number six. What is the committee going to do with Ohio State and Alabama this week? Let's see what they did last week. Well, granted, Ohio State was still undefeated in number two in the committee rankings, but Alabama was behind SC at number seven. So LSU will be out of the way. Ohio State will probably be behind USC, I would think. Um, never know, though. Boy, that'll piss everybody off, huh? But what really will piss everybody off is if Alabama's ahead of Ohio State today or this week in the committee rankings, which is kind of weird, too, because it's like, wait, neutral people are rooting for Ohio State? And really what neutral people would be doing is rooting against Alabama. But as it stands right now, the way you would look at it is you go, okay, what's worse? Which brings us back to the beginning. When you look at the Ohio State final score against Michigan, you go, oh, man, they got their doors kicked in 45-23. Okay, maybe. I mean, that's what it is, right? Why are we keeping track of these numbers if that's not what it is? That's why the 45-30 thing would feel so fucking stupid. So you're saying, what, the irrelevant touchdown somehow makes that game seem closer and therefore a better argument? Like, that's what we end up kind of doing. I'm not even saying it's wrong. I'm just pointing out how, how absurd it can all be. So you've got that Ohio State part of the resume against Bama, whose two losses are on last-second plays to two top 11 teams in the country, the Tennessee field goal, the two-point conversion by LSU on the road, both on the road. So then you're going to go, wait, what's worse? Bama's two losses in those scenarios against those teams, against Ohio State, who, again, lost by 22 to what is going to be the number two team in the country. 
Strength of schedule, Bama's eighth, Ohio State's 34th. That's not that big of a deal. I don't think so. But people are going to lose their minds about this one if Bama jumps Ohio State outside of the top four because then we know what it's setting up. TCU, USC, Michigan, would they lose to Purdue and still get in? Maybe. But if Bama's back in this, again, I don't know that there's going to be all sorts of sympathy for Ohio State. It's just going to be an anti-SEC thing. Here's a question I would ask. Can your dynasty be over and you're still in the playoff? We'll react to the rankings on Wednesday. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday. I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side by side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. You know what I hate? Hate. Is after lunch, there's all this time before dinner. I hate it. So, I'm always like, do I do this? It's like, you should. Gain season. Throw in a little something extra. An appetizer that just starts hours before dinner. It just gets so frustrating when there aren't great options. That's where Arby's new two for $5 chicken wraps come in. Available in your choice of ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for that afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Food buddies. Arby's two for $5 chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. You want details? Bye. I drive a Ferrari, 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So, now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. Hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving weekend. What's up, Kyle? What's up, Kyle? How's it? Seems like right. it's been a while. Was that the... We didn't do anything Friday. That's why it's been a while. That's why, yeah, yeah. We took a day off. How'd you guys do? We never do that. No, Although we don't. I, I feel like I could sort of Jedi mind trick you into maybe thinking about taking a day off more than I can, Bill. Bill was like, we'll bank one. So it's like, we didn't totally take it off, but I did have that day off. And you were just like, yeah, the day after Thanksgiving sounds like it would be an appropriate day to not work. So I'm glad you, I'm glad you did that. I wanted to work because then I was like, oh, I got all this stuff. <laughs> and then I, I selfishly, I'll admit, I'll go, hey, Kyle probably doesn't want to work. So I'm going to start doing a better job with that as opposed to like when I had you work Christmas because I just watched five games by myself <laughs> and was like, hey, it'd be great. Crank out a Christmas pot and then I can I can juice the podcast rankings and say I'm fucking number four in the world one day because nobody else is taping <laughs> on right. Christmas. 
And I can screen yeah. grab it and tell everybody, hey, I'm the fourth biggest podcast. I think I was no, at Bill's don't. on 4th of July one year and he was like, yeah, so we'll just do like a quick hour and a half. And I was like, <laughs> my whole family was looking around like, wait, what's happening? It's like, yeah, it's, you know, it's a privilege. <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> uh, how about this? I, if, if I want to release an episode on a Friday or a Christmas day moving forward, I will. Maybe we'll do a Life Advice Christmas special. And then I'll, I'll release it on Christmas. We'll see the ranking and we'll screen grab it. We can say we're the best. And that's Perfect. not even work. This shit doesn't even work, Life Advice. Okay. What? What? You're saying life advice doesn't work? I'm saying Jesus, it's not man. even work. You know, you ever uh, heard that? that oh, that? oh, it's not even work. I thought you were yeah. saying life advice does not work. I'm like, oh. man, we need to rebrand all of this. Because people, we thought we were helping people out. Anyway, uh, email lifeadvicerr at gmail.com. Okay, here we go. Let's start with uh, a little, little Thanksgiving loving here. 29, 510, 170, scrappy wing defender. Thinks Thabo Cephalosho with less scoring. That means you're not good at basketball. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like if the first way you describe your pickup game is crappy wing defender, just no offense. And Thabo could at least keep keep you honest. I think. I think he developed into a decent. Do I look that up right now? We'll look at. I don't later. think so. Yeah, I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> yeah, keep keep it rolling, Kyle. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah. Get into a Thabo Cephalosha ten minute wormhole, which I'm totally capable of. Okay, so recently spent Thanksgiving with my family and another family we were very close with. They have a son I've known since first grade. These are OGs, first grade OGs. Uh, we still see each other from time to time, but our parents are especially tight. Now, I didn't realize until we showed up that their daughter would also be there too. She's a year below us in school, but like her brother, is pretty even keeled. And always had a high approval rating in general. When we were young, she was pretty modest, maybe even a little shy. And I think knowing someone when you're that age can shape how you think, feel about them. Yes, I would agree with that. Uh, but now it's been five years since I saw her last, probably longer. And at dinner, I was totally smitten. What used to strike me as a nervous quiet has given way to a calm self-confidence and subtle sense of humor. Awesome. 14-year-old me would have never seen this coming. But hey, maybe 14-year-old me wasn't fucking Nostradamus. You know what? You're right about that. You know, when you're 14, you're not going, hey, wonder what that's going to develop into. <laughs> yeah, maybe not now. Yeah. Actually, be, it's awesome that you don't, that 14-year-old's don't think that way okay um anyway uh do i tell a weird story about an older woman no we'll save that for later last i heard she was living down south where she went to school and had a boyfriend it turns out she's recently moved to i'm not going to share the city because you know what if what if the other guys listen and be like whatever um let's say pacific northwest uh, i'm 98 sure she's single I play in a band that plays out. We have two shows booked in that area next week. And a big part of me wants to hit her up and see if she wants to come. Not really even sure if it's her thing, but really the crux of my problem is that one, she doesn't have social media. So the only way to do that would be to ask her brother for her number. All caps. Is that weird? I would, uh, ask, yes. her, I would ask her mom before I'd ask her brother, I think. Fucking Kyle, you just solved it immediately. I'm sorry. Two seconds. <laughs> no, no. I, I'm I'm like giving you props. I'm not upset. Sure. You just read the next email. Ask the mom. More importantly, too, is there a better way to go about this? I've never tried to court someone who lived in another city, but Seattle. Whoop, I just gave it up. City. Pick it up there. Three, two, and one. Uh, but the city she's in isn't a world away from the city that I'm yes, they are actually pretty close. Not like, hey, I'm gonna be there this afternoon, close, but close. And we both have reasons to go back and forth. My crazy thinking, there's a chance here. 
okay, a couple things to do, but I think Kyle's right on it. Just ask the mom. Because then the mom will set you straight. Like the mom, now, who knows? Like, what's the mom's approval rating of you? Are you are you unaware that you're the shithead neighbor? Or, you know, you're the whatever. But now, look, if the parents are really close and they've known you since you were a little kid and you know, sometimes parents can get really excited. Remember the yeah. Sopranos? They get really <laughs> excited about the the families that know each other. And then it's like, you know, that's why, that's how kingdoms were started. Like, you're going to marry that guy. I'm like, why? Because we like the dad and he has a <laughs> sick castle. So in modern times, there still is a real push by parents, whatever year totally. BC. <laughs> it's like, oh, come on, you like each other, you know it. No, I should say, Right, AD. Uh, I think I think parents still love this shit. They love the concept of what if our little guy married your little girl, and then we're all we're just fucking we're all the, we're Gatsbying every weekend, you know. So that's a genius, genius call by you, Kyle. How would you handle it? Um, I probably would. Yeah, I'd probably ask the mom if the if yeah, that's exactly what I do. Or I could even yeah, I would do that and backdoor the you backdoor the bro for the mom. Yeah, I mean, he's probably not my friend, right? He's probably like my neighbor guy who like, yeah, haven't seen him in five years either. You know what I mean? Yeah, he doesn't sound like a core guy. He's just an OG guy. He's probably like, yeah, his mom was probably like, hey, you know, Justin said he might be going to the bars uh, Thanksgiving night. Uh, see some of the old crowd. Do you want to go? And your mom's looking at you like you you don't you want to go? And you're like, oh, I guess so. Uh, so it's like it's, it seems like it. If he hasn't seen the, the the sister in five years, I can't imagine he's that much closer with the brother. So, yeah, I would. Just Can you back straight. up for a second? What was that scenario? You those lines you just played out there, where it was the mom um, was in telling her son to go out and drink with the buddies from grade school. Yeah, it was just sort of like, oh, you know, Thanksgiving, everyone's coming back, and you know, Brian's coming back from his college, and I'm sure. I think he said that maybe he would be going down to Mahoney's tonight, and I thought James, maybe, maybe James would want to go with you. You know, and I'm looking at, like, huh? Okay. Sure. Okay. I mean, yeah, you can tag along, buddy. I mean, it's just sort of like sort of like an insinuation. It's just parents trying to get everybody like, you know, get their kids out and about on the right. uh, on the holiday weekend. Now, it could backfire. It could where the the mom could tell cuz sometimes people just talk. The mom could say, "Guess who asked for your sister's phone number?" You know, if she's super close with that guy. But it is going to be awkward because like I don't know what the dynamic is. Do you know what the dynamic is? Could you say to your friend who's not a core guy, being like, hey, I want to invite your sister. Now, as a guy, he's going to be like, why do you want to invite my sister? Like, I already know why you want to invite my sister and whatever. And then it becomes a dicey, like, what are your goals here? Do you actually want to date my sister? Because then if you do, like, okay, fine. But if it's, uh, you know, you're the lead guitarist playing out a couple of shows, you'd be shacked up in Tijuana with a goat and a, you know, I, I, I don't, I remember one time, one of my friends, had a bit of a dicey background as far as the hookup resume went. And he was, he was talking to a younger sister. And I tried to, because I was very close with both guys, I tried to vouch for my guy with the brother. And the brother looked me straight in the face, was like, hey, I love the kid. The amount of stories that I've heard of how weird that dude is, that he has told in group settings where we've all had a blast laughing about his exploits, I actually don't want that guy to be hanging out with my sister. Not and funny I was this like, time. Not funny yeah, this I was time, like, guy. <laughs> I was like, I don't have a counterpoint. I was like, that, and that was it. That was the end of my operations. I have, um, 
I had a scenario where I ended up hanging out with, I wouldn't say a core guy, but a guy I really liked. Uh, there was a younger sister. And I had, like, I knew it was going down that road. I did care about this person. It was somebody that, you know, I was, I was spending time with. But the very beginning of it made me feel like shit. Made me feel like I was doing something that I wasn't supposed to be doing. And um, it all worked out. Everybody's cool, which means a lot to me. But it was something where, like, you better get it right. You know what I'm saying? Like, you better get it right. Because a lot of times that person is off limits until she isn't, right? Because then it just all sort of happens, especially when we're talking about people that are attractive. Um, I think there's a way to do this, but I'm just warning you if you go with the Kyle approach, which I do love, because you're going to find out if she's single or not immediately from the mom. You're going to avoid the awkward thing if this isn't a core guy. If it was a core guy, I would not say do it this way. Um, you're going to get all the things that you need to figure out. It is a little weird that she's this age and she's not on social media, which either makes her awesome Probably or awesome. A, a spy. Is she on LinkedIn? Right? Have you checked? <laughs> yeah, there you go. Just start <laughs> linking. Like, like, oh my God, you guys did the whatever workshop? That sounds awesome. Like, Just endorse um, all of her skills. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you're, you're certified in DOS? <laughs> is that a joke anymore? No. So... I got it. I, I would say go for it, but I go for it with caution, right? Yeah, because you could totally even just be like, oh, you know, I meant to say that the other thing, I meant to tell her I was going to be in I wanted to get some like recommendations. I really didn't know. I just got a, kind of a hotel room in the city. You'd be like, I meant to get some info from her and I just, I forgot to exchange numbers with her. I'm going to be there in the next couple of weeks and, you know, whatever. You could even try that unless you feel like the mom's going to be like, come on, I'm not a fucking idiot. I don't know. I don't know how close you are to the mom if she's just like, come on, you're handsome. I know you, you know, you saw her. Come on. I know what you want here. So, I mean, if you don't think that's going to be the case, you could also just be like, ah, oh, shit, I meant to, I meant to exchange information with her. I'm going to be there in a month or something. You know, you could also yeah. try it that way. Yeah, you could. She's probably going to figure it out. Probably. But good luck. Yes. Best of luck. Okay. This one is titled, this dude sucks all caps. Yes. Kyle Ryan, 6'1", 195, been slacking the gym recently, but hope to get back to a D3 linebacker like physique. D3 linebacker? Sounds attainable. And yeah, also I, and also noticeable. Yeah, look at McShay. At Richmond, he was a quarterback. I don't know what kind of shit he was on. I'm just kidding. <laughs> accusation. I'm, not uh, I'm 19. <laughs> oh, we got a young one here. All right. 19, first apartment. I understand there'll be shitty roommates, but I want your opinion on if this one is different. Four-bedroom apartment. I only knew one guy. Let's call him John, just barely before moving in. So you, you're at... Wait, is he, is he at college? I don't know. I was at 19 without being in college in apartments. So that's why I'm saying could be very different roommates. Okay. Wait, what? No, I've told what? you this. It was when I got, was kicked out. So I did. I got the apartment. So I had like... I had lived with guys that when I was in like... 2019 and then also when i was kicked out i i had an apartment lived with guys who were not in college so it's just a i think it's good to know it's very very different experiences different friends coming over you know what i mean yeah right right um <laughs> so maybe that's the case i don't know well uh, I, I don't think it is though let's let's see if we got more here so i guess my thing the flag that goes off is like you're at college and you didn't know anybody and you got a room from guys that had three rooms covered in a four bedroom all right okay uh, one room is filled by a random person who is fine. The last room is occupied by John's friend. Let's call him Jake. All right. So random checks out. John's fine. Jake is the problem. It was John and Jake's apartment before I had moved in. All right. See, 
whatever you think now that you're paying rent territorially, there's still some ownership that they're going to lean towards, especially at this age. And it actually happens when you're a little bit older too, or you're almost looking, looked at as like more of a tenant than their roommate because they got it first. I'm just saying yes. that's, that's, yeah. that's something that's kind of unavoidable and just happens, you know, even though it's technically kind of bullshit because you're paying whatever you're paying, unless you're paying less. Okay. I, uh, so I originally felt weird making any sort of requests. Okay. That makes sense. However, I'm starting to reach a breaking point with Jake. Exhibit A, never puts away oven mitts after the, using the oven. <laughs> this is pure insanity to me. It takes two seconds to put it back in the drawer. Makes for a crowded kitchen when he doesn't want to do dishes either. His excuse is that he works while all of us go to school. Oh, okay. So three school guys and Jake here is the fucking nine to fiver. Got this it. is dynamic is already weird. Just a warning. To the email. Exhibit B. Mansplains things to men. That's also called just explaining. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I think like fundamentally this, it's not mansplaining. <laughs> this mansplaining thing is like one of the most absurdly branded things of recent memory. Like just when a guy does it, to, it's oh, it's man. What what happens when a woman tells me I'm wrong about something? And what happens when there's just guys that are fucking annoying as hell, constantly explaining to things to everybody? All right, so. Anyway, when you watch games with them, it's a nightmare. One game, a specific team was down by eight with less than a minute to go. No timeouts. After the trailing team scored a touchdown, he announced, looks like they'll have to go for two. (laughs) My response was, you think? This is far from a one-off happenstance. He also happens to be a, quote, your team is losing, so let's rub it in his face guy. Final straw. (laughs) I made chicken Alfredo the night before that I wasn't particularly fond of due to its consistency. Who the fuck makes Alfredo chicken, chicken Alfredo 19 and is like, this guy been a top chef? I've had better. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Okay. All right. Therefore, I packed it away and offered it to my roommates. So you made shitty chicken Alfredo and then said, hey, who wants some? As I was heading back to my humble abode the next day, I received a text which read, what seasoning did you put in this Alfredo? I responded, (laughs) listing the usual seasonings. His response was, quote, little heavy on the Italian seasoning. I kind of like this guy. I think you you guys all deserve each other. Yeah, Yeah. sorry. I think it's more than... uh, (laughs) By the way, I have one roommate in college my last year, shout out to 292, who would have done exactly that third thing, would have exactly done that. Like, I make too much of something else and then kind of gives me, like, he was the guy that, I think at one point, the entire roommate situation, and I didn't mean to do this on purpose, it was just a financial decision at the time, where I think there was a house meeting where it had, the roommates, the other five guys had come to the conclusion that I hadn't bought one house toiletry the entire year. <laughs> like, not one thing of paper towels, no toilet paper, zero fucking soap, nothing. And for whatever reason, on our floor, the three of us that were on my floor, we were doing sort of a house share on the shampoo. And so guys were starting to give me the business. And again, they should have, but I didn't like the way it was being done because none of us like being told we're doing something wrong. When in this fact, was clearly we already, discussed before you it got to you. Yeah, I could <laughs> tell. I was like, you guys, would you guys fuck? Because as I was heading to... uh Hannaford's to stock up on some deli meat and bad steaks. I go out and this one roommate was like, hey, uh, Rosillo, grab, uh, grab some shampoo. 
And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, grab some shampoo. And I was like, what you, what's this? And I just didn't like it. I didn't like, <laughs> I didn't like the tone. I didn't like, cause I was like going out to the truck. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, what does he mean by that? <laughs> and he's like, I think, you know, I think it'd be nice if you grab some shampoo. And I was like, okay. And then again, I was like, this is about me. This is about me not pitching in on this. And by the way, we're 21, 22 at that point. Buy your own fucking shampoo and then bring it into the bathroom with you like a real person. But for whatever reason, we left that bottle of shampoo. So I buy Pert Plus because it has both shampoo and conditioner. It and it's a huge deal. And it's a huge, yeah. huge bottle too, right? <laughs> but that technology was mind-blowing in the 90s. And I came back and they were on it. They're like, did you grab shampoo? Like seeing if I was uh. going to be defiant about it. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I grabbed a big bottle of Pert Plus. I'll go throw it in the shower right now. And he's like, per plus. I'm like, you got fucking kidding me. I was like, what's the problem? He's like, oh, Pantene's a superior product. And I went, okay. All right, fucking Fabio. The per plus will be up there. It's the green bottle. And then I probably sat and <laughs> stewed for a little bit. Yeah. Really, I mean, but that's like just living with guys now, month six, month seven, where, all right. So our guy asked this. Uh, I think it's fair to be pissed at such a slighting remark. You grab something that someone else made, then go ahead and reach out to crit critique what they made. Hey, man, you kind of just want to know if you hit the Italian seasoning a little too hard. Um, if I wanted to get lectured constantly, I would move back home and go to a community college. My question is, am I overreacting? Can this be guy be classified as the worst? Should I say something either uh, to the, one of the other roommates or to him directly. Should I try to get on his nerves? Do you have any ideas? Additional question. How do you make long-standing friends as a college student? See, I think that brings <laughs> us back to the original point that I was wondering about is you're at college and you rented a room from three guys you didn't know. Uh, ones preferably that would be better to live with for the next academic year. Love the show. <laughs> <laughs> so it kind of went from Here's my living situation, which I was worried about, to how do you make friends at the end? I think, I'm sorry to say this, man, I think you're a little uptight about it. I think you're all young guys. Now, I don't know how old 9 to 5 Jake is, and I'm not saying Jake is sweet, but there's a weird thing when guys watch games together. There's always going to be one guy that, like, doesn't do it perfectly. He <laughs> doesn't do it yeah, the way you want. He's going to be fucking annoying. I, I've never been in a setting, like, I don't watch games with anybody. Anybody. Okay. <laughs> Super Bowl parties? No, nope. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it because somebody's going to go, well, you know, the, the thing about this, and I'll know, I'll be like, that's not what it is. And I'm not going to fucking explain it to you. And I'm just going to sit there and go, oh, okay. And be like, oh, this conspiracy and this is fixed. And they do it because of the, you're just like, all right, I'm out. I remember one time there was a girl that I was dating in Boston and it was like a big deal for me to go over to the house because I had avoided it forever and I didn't want to. And she had a guy roommate. So it was already fucking weird. And it was like, it was like, you have to prove to me that you care, move and come to my house and have me cook dinner. And then I ended up watching like a Red Sox game with this guy. And meanwhile, I'm captain fucking Red Sox at this point in my life. And somebody gives up a hit and he's immediately turned into fucking, uh, you know, I don't know, uh, uh, Tom, Tom House. You know what I mean? Like throwing motion. This is wrong. All this different stuff. Tom Amansky might have been a better call. And I was like, yeah, that's not really what happened. I just said it to him. And he was like, eh. and then he was kind of like arguing with me. And then finally, I was like, you know, I do this for a living. Not to say that I can't be wrong, but I'm just saying. And then I was like, yeah, this is, fuck this. And we broke up. So you're always going to have a guy 
as as the numbers increase, that's going to be difficult. I would agree with you. It's annoying that you made something and then offered it up for free. But the reason you offered it up because you knew the meal sucked too. <laughs> no offense. Um, and the other one in there is the oven mitt. Sometimes I don't put my fucking stuff back. That's my house. You know, sometimes you're just like, whatever. Like, I know I should put everything away immediately. Sometimes I just don't fucking want to. And specifically the oven mitt for me sometimes. Sometimes yeah. it's specific. I'm like, oh, fuck. That's been out for a day. How'd I do that? Buy a well, magnet. Buy a magnet hook. I feel for you here, but I'm just telling you, welcome to life. Welcome to living with other people and especially living with other people you don't really know. So could you say something to the other guy? You're probably going to lose that one. Little mafia stuff there. If, if he and the other dude got the house and then you jumped in and then you go to the original guy, John, who you seem to be okay with and say, hey, Jake sucks. That could backfire big time. I don't know about the neutral guy that's not around all that much. You know, you start building some sort of alliance. Um, I would say it's not about lightening up. It's about understanding this is kind of the way it works. And as far as like, Asking, is this guy the worst? Have you listened to some of our other roommate emails? This isn't even close. Like you got a bit of a know-it-all guy who doesn't put his oven mitt away. All right. He didn't ask your sister out. Or ask your mom to ask your sister out. Anything else? Um, yeah, I think the begin I mean, the truth is you're riding this out, right? This is just this is what's gonna happen. If you can help it, you're not signing back on with these guys next year. I don't know yeah, how you it, ended up 19 with, I mean, I'm sure all schools are different, but I don't know how you're 19. That's tech. That's usually a sophomore. I don't know how you're 19 in an apartment. Usually, you know, your second year is supposed to be on campus. I don't know. At least that's SUNY policy. But like, I don't know. Maybe it's different. You it's different in a lot of places. I'm sure though. it is. So yeah. maybe you're a transfer. I don't know how this happened. Uh, but yeah, usually you take that first year. Usually the first year is when you have a roommate that you, you know, it's a total roll of the dice that either you, you know, you know, instantly you're like, I got to find whoever I'm pairing up with uh, next semester or next year, usually. Um, so I don't know why you're doing this and what I would think is your sophomore year. Maybe you transferred. I got suspended. I got kicked out. I came back and everybody that I was with had either transferred, got kicked out or um, they were gone, really. So I had to kind of start over again. And that's hard. But, you know, I, I don't know. I just, I, who are you hanging out with? I guess just try to because you're kind of in that mode, like you're by by the end of next year, by the end of this year, uh, dudes your age, you might have to be the uh, you know the guy who's a year older than the other dudes, but dudes your age pretty much know their thing. So I think you kind of have to figure your shit out. Mine was weird. I've been over this, so like um, it was sort of intramurals that I that I got invited to by a dude I was selling reservation cigarettes to. So like that's obviously a unique thing, but like I. I was lost. I didn't know what I was going to do. And I had a weird roommate. And this was one of our first life advices. So, you know, for any newcomers, that's kind of, that's how he said we needed one more. When I went, I sold them two packs of um, Brave cigarettes. They're basically like reds from, from an Indian reservation. And uh, he was just like, hey, do you want to come be our, our guy? We needed one to fill out an intramural team. And that's who became my friend. So, you know, you just, you know, at the end of the year, I would, they were talking about who's doing what. We'd gotten closer, and that's how we figured out, who, you know, who was going to pair up with who. But I think you should be really taking it. Like, forget about all this stuff. You know, even as our good friends, we came to blows over dishes. Like, there's always, when there's so many dudes that, you know, you produce so many dishes, and there's only one small sink, I'm sure. So that shit's just going to be, that's going to suck wherever. Um, you know, people, dudes were putting dishes in a bucket in front of other people's doors. Like, I know these are yours. And it was just like, woof. 
So that's going to be bad wherever. But I think you should be focusing on this all this time on who your next crew is going to be, where you're going to live. Because I don't think this is I don't think this is it, especially if you don't really feel like you're in the original group and, you know, you need to feel like you can't really say much. So I would just focus on figuring out who's your crew going to be for next semester. Yeah, I mean, look, this none of this stuff is new. We It got so bad our senior year with the dishes that I proposed the one cup, one plate, one spoon, one fork, for everybody. one knife rule. <laughs> yeah, one bowl. And so every one of us had our own cubby, and we put a name under it, and it was a plate, it was a bowl, it was a cup, it was one utensil, and then everything was community. And um, it worked for a little while, and then we had the one... And then we had the one roommate who like started like foraging for the community shit. So he'd be like, Hey, where's the spatula? He'd be like, well, it's my spatula. He'd be like, okay, so the, the, the <laughs> other it. five of us are going to go without a spatula now. He's like, well, you guys don't clean it enough. Like, and it was like, Rasilla wanted one, the one cup rule. And I was like, well, I just want to come up with some solution. Cause like, if you don't watch your own, wash your own shit, you're out. And so, like, somebody would grab a bowl, and then the guy would run over and be like, "Your bowl's missing from your spot. That's not your bowl. Your bowl isn't clean, and you grabbed a you grabbed a different bowl." So he so found like, the one thread to pull to unravel this shit. Yeah, it was working fine, and then one guy just went fucking psychotic about the whole thing, and I think he was mad that it was working and that it was my idea. I don't, I don't really know. Again, it was a lot of processing that you think back on twenty years plus, and you're like, "Oh, wait, was that why that guy was doing that?" Word and. The one plate, I stand by the one plate, one bowl, one cup, one utensil rule. It fucking works. Because if you're, if you don't wash your own stuff, there's no other stuff to go to. So it keeps you accountable. But then this guy, he destroyed it. And it, <laughs> there was a moment there where I think Sully looked at me, my roommate, and was like, you know, you really were onto something there. We were, we were humming along. <laughs> it was Amsterdam. It was yeah. Amsterdam. At the <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> what a great call. It was my own Hamsterdam where it was like, you know, in theory, this could work, but. Yeah, we tried the dish schedule, but then there was dudes with girlfriends and he was, you know, they were making two. So it was like, how the fuck do you come down at like nine in the morning and the dudes with the early classes had, there's 14 things in there. <laughs> you just hear the dude who's like Wednesday, like, fuck. It's like, this one roommate, he, he used to make fun of me and the other guy for sleeping in all the time because we just, we, we became absolute weirdo nocturnal fucks yeah and you know you schedule all your classes late whatever and he would just always make fun of us and i'd be like dude you get up early you shower you eat you get dressed and then you fall asleep on the couch so that's no like i'm just eliminating the inefficiency of what you yeah, do i'm just keeping it rolling here until <laughs> yeah, 11 right like when i have to be on campus at 12 30 i'll be there maybe but I remember freshman year, first semester, I was like, I want all my classes to start at eight and nine so I can have the day to myself. I did that the rest of the day. for four years. Yeah. I nailed you it. You did? Oh, yeah. But, dude, I was at... Did you Mc go? I was at McDuff's at 3, 3.30, meeting dudes at Maxfield. It's like, dude, you guys are late for happy hour. It's like, no, dude, you were early. I liked it. I really liked it. And was, you made it to your classes? Like, you kept that up? Yeah. Almost all the time, yeah. That's not for the 3.5. In my major is what I tell people. Three five in the major. That's all yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Just say three five. Sure. Nobody's checking. What's the difference? Nobody's checking. Okay. Uh, thanks, Kyle, as always. And Ryan Fitzpatrick was a lot of fun today. Please subscribe. Ryan Russell Podcast. Ryan Russell Podcast.